well, this morning we're um, looking at Elijah, and uh, the, 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 the message is called Back to God. And whenever we think of coming back to God, all right, coming back to God, well, coming back to God indicates that we were already there. <laughs> and um, some of the, our, our thoughts are that how is God, where does God want us to come back to? What does he want us to be like? I say we've never known Christian, never known Christ, never known the Bible, uh, never heard of, uh, of Jesus, and you hear a message, come back to God. Well, they've never been with God, so how would they know what to come back to? Well, I think of it in the context that we are coming back to what God created us to be at the very beginning. He created us to be an individual that walked with him, and that was Abraham. Excuse me, that was Adam in the garden. And then, as we followed that line of Adam, we ended up with Enoch, <laughs> and uh, then we go through to Noah, and that's from our Sunday school lesson, and how that these individuals found favor, found grace in the eyes of God. And whenever we're looking at this favor or this grace, it is something which God gives to us based upon his character and based upon who he is as God. It has nothing to do with the reward system. The reward system is, you be good to me, I'll be good to you. <laughs> you know, here's $100, you do the job, I'll pay you. You know, we have this system in, our, in ourselves, in our society, in our government, whatever, that uh, equal pay for equal jobs. So we have equal rights. So we look at things from a perspective of equality and uh, upon or merit and upon earnings and things like that. So you, we generally trade hours for money, or we trade work service for money. You know, um, if you want to be a billionaire, you're not going to trade hours for money. <laughs> it doesn't work. But if you have your own companies, you run the risk of losing everything or making money or breaking even. Well, we look in our, in our life, God wants us to come back, as it were, be back to the original intent. When Jesus, uh, I said this in Sunday school, I'm sorry for those of you who were here, but you have to hear it twice, uh, and I'm not apologizing for it. Sorry. <laughs> before um, Noah, and Noah's, before Noah's time from Adam to Noah, we had kind of a lawless self-governing people. There were no governments. There was no law. There were just people on their own, and, and what they ended up with was violence, immorality, and just complete debauchery to the sense that there was not one sense, there was not one indication of good. So mankind on their own, with no rules, no regulations, you know, just from uh, the tradition of uh, Adam and Eve passing it on to their children through the, through the line of Seth, down through Enoch, down to Noah, we have that one family line that followed God. Then after Noah, we have um, the coming of the law with uh, Moses and, the, and the, the Ten Commandments and you know, things like that. We have Abraham, excuse me, Abraham and following God, and then we have the Ten Commandments, and we have the, the law age or the law time. And we find that the law was the ten, come down to the Ten Commandments. You know, this is what you do. Well, we had people who were following the law, but it didn't change their hearts. Then comes Christ. Jesus comes, and it comes to a, a time period in which we're now under grace, in which grace and mercy are exuded, and the law 
must be something that people obey, but we also have the intent of the law. We have the intent of grace. And grace, mercy, well, grace is God giving to us what we don't deserve. Mercy is, he, you know, we deserve something and we're, we're our, uh, we don't get the punishment. So Jesus illustrates that with the, um, the man who owed uh, the king some $40, $400, and, uh, and he couldn't pay, and he, he, you know, he, he, you know, the king forgives him, but the guy, um, no, he owned the king $400 million, excuse me, some extorbent, exorbitant amount, and the king forgave him. And then that guy went back to a guy who owed him 40 bucks, and he put him in prison and took him captive and was going to hold him in jail until he was capable of paying it off. And he had no mercy upon the people who owed him. He expected mercy from the king, but he had no mercy in his life. And so this is what, the, when we talk about the mercy of God, we're looking at how God looks at us. We have a debt of sin that we can't pay. God pays that debt for us. And in paying that debt, he then bestows upon us what he intends for our life from the very beginning. Whenever we, whenever, if we were showing up at the garden with, with uh, Adam and Eve, if we showed up at the garden with Adam and Eve before the fall, before the sin, we would be there as friend with friend, hanging out with God, you know? Well, Jesus came to be that restorer of life and restorer of, of what God intended us to have. You know, when Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, um, he, lived, he, he lived. He lived. His body was laid in a borrowed tomb. And it was emphasized that it was a borrowed tomb because he wasn't staying. <laughs> okay? Well, we live in a tenting life. The Bible says that we are tenting here, meaning that this is not our permanent home. We're just camping out. Amen. So we're just camping out. Anybody like camping? I don't know yet. I'm, yeah, let's go camping. Well, current camping means it's not a permanent resident. So we don't live here. This is not our home. We're just passing through. So God has a, a desire for us to come back, come, <laughs> come back to uh, what he intended our life to be when there was no sin, when there was no wrongdoing in our life. And that intention is that we are able to see and to understand that God's plan for us is, is, is so magnificent that we cannot even begin to imagine or think what God has prepared for us. It's beyond our wildest imagination. So whenever we start praying and asking God for blessing upon our life, we, we need to move out of the idea that, well, if God blesses me, I'll, I'll move from having $10 to $50. <laughs> you know, I'll move from having this to that. Well, God doesn't think in the terms of what we think of. God thinks in the multiplications, in the multiplications of things. So when God looks at us, he's in the multiplier. <laughs> he's into the multiplication, not into the addition. You know, because there were people added to the church daily. There was this the deluge of the Spirit, and the Spirit empowered people to do things that they never imagined. Raise the dead, heal the, the, the lame and the blind, and you know, for the provision of God to come into their life. So there was this onslaught of, of what God was intending and for his church to be. Well, back in the time of Israel, here in 1 Kings, 
we have the prophet Elijah, and Elijah is a pain in the neck. <laughs> Two, King Ahab and Jezebel. Okay? You thought I meant that he was a real pain in the neck, you know, but he isn't a pain in the neck to God. He's a pain in the neck to Ahab and Jezebel. Well, Jezebel has, um, and her husband Ahab, have come on the scene and they, have, they are trying to lead Israel astray. They, she has her own private religion, her own private God, and she wants everybody in Israel <coughs> to worship that God because she wants favor from the God. So if she can get uh, more people to worship her, her God, then her God will give her more favor. You see, that's the humanistic perspective of what a God is. A humanistic perspective of God is somebody just a little bit bigger than greater than me, but not quite as good as I am. <laughs> That's a humanistic God. The humanism that we have in our society, the focus is my wants, my needs, my abilities to take and have whatever I want. Because I am the highest order of everything, and if I, if I can't get it one way, I'll get it another. So that's the humanism that I deserve. Well, in our faith, we are seeing God for who he, who he displays himself to be, who he tells us who he is. He is a God of grace and mercy. So we cannot make him like us. He wants us to see him for who he is. He wants us to see God for who he is, what his character is like. You know, does God get angry? Well, he, he regrets. We found that out in, in, um, in, uh, with our study of Noah. He regretted. Now, regret means he gave them the opportunity to do it the way they wanted, and they really failed and had no inclination of him. When we grieve the Holy Spirit, we grieve the Holy Spirit when God wants to do a work in us and we know that God wants us to do, say, whatever, a certain way, and, and we don't do it. We're grieving, as it were, what God would have us do. Now, God doesn't want to, I don't know, for most of us, don't know for sure, but he doesn't want us to move to China, okay? You know, he doesn't want us to move to China. We build, may build by arcs and pass them out, made in China, but... <laughs> That was in the Sunday school lesson. Uh, but um, his will for us can be very simple things. Very simple things. Doing good for someone. Now, there's this uh, story of this guy. He was, uh, this is a Joel Olstein story, so that's okay. Um, you know, he talks about, often Joel talks about how that being good to people and whatever. And there was this guy who was a... Um, didn't say who he was, but he was at a, at a restaurant, and it was a, a, um, a little boy's birthday, you know, in the booth behind him. And he asked the waitress, do, do you give cakes and stuff and celebrate kids' birthdays? And, and the waitress says, oh, I don't know. And, and they found out that they didn't, so this guy took out $20 and gave it to the, nur gave it to the nurse, gave it to the waitress, and said, uh, you know, get the boy a cake and celebrate his birthday, but don't tell him. Well, uh, of course, the waitress, not the nurse, waitress 
told him, and while they were leaving, the little boy ran out and, you know, said hello and was very happy and thanking the, the, the guy for buying his birthday cake. And, and the guy says, well, you know, with your genuineness in your heart, you'll go far. And he ran back into the, be with, in the restaurant. But his mother's crying. And his mother says he's had three brain surgeries, and he has stents and things in his brain and so on. We don't know what the prognosis is. And, he's, and she says to him, you'll never know what that act of kindness meant to us. You see, some people go through their entire life and nobody's done anything good for them. <laughs> I mean, some people go through life and have had nothing good done in their life. And so us doing something good is just a way of sharing what God's goodness to us is. So whenever we do good, we're coming back to that original intent in the garden. Here we are, all this, all this is under your, your, your caretaking, but you've got to remember one thing, I own this place. <laughs> okay? When God says to Adam and Eve, he says, I own this place, he reminds them that there's one thing you can't do. You can't eat of this tree. Everything else is yours, but I want you to know I own this place. So in our lives, we are, we are created to, to be in the image of God and in his likeness, and that we are to have this understanding that God is creating through us. He is creating his love, and he's creating his, his mercy, and he's creating his grace in the lives of other people. And so as we allow the Holy Spirit then to form our thinking, to help us in our thoughts. My one question I had about um, Noah was, how did he know? <laughs> how did he know how to build a ship? I mean, nobody's ever built a ship before. How did he know how to do it? And I wonder, I wonder what kind of tools he developed while he was building this ark that would help him make, it, make the, the, everything fit together. I imagine he was quite a, a, not only an engineer in putting the, the, bo the boards together and uh, the, whole, the whole ship, but he was an engineer in how that he could, as it were, sculpt the boards and, and, and how that the planks could all fit together and how do you support an elephant and a giraffe and a bunny, <laughs> you know? How do you support all of these things? You know, do you keep the mosquitoes out? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> he has mosquito repellent on their net. They can't come through. No, I'm just kidding. You know, it's not true. <laughs> so, so God has a plan. And in God's plan, he has you in mind. Okay? Now, he didn't have any defects. <laughs> you didn't come out half-hatched. <laughs> you know, he, he plans you just the way you are. Because... Who you are fits exactly where he needs you to be in his body. Okay? You have a divine purpose. You have a divine purpose. Well, I'm not doing my whatever. What, it, that doesn't mean anything. It means only that you still have a divine purpose. You did it one way for a while. Now you're going to do it another and what we're doing in this transition is learning how to trust God. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I, what happens there is I die to self and the things that used to be. I die to what used to be, and I'm going through the valley of transition, the valley of change. And so as we go through life, we are living unto God, dying unto self. 
So we're about living and seeing that this life that we have is like an ark in front of us. And God is giving us a picture, a divine picture of the architectural drawings of an ark. God is giving us an architectural picture of his will for our lives. And he is unfolding it every day. You know, I wonder how many times, <laughs> I said this this morning, I wonder how many times Noah moved the post <laughs> in the ark. Does it go here? Does it go there? Honey, where does this go? <laughs> no. <laughs> Just put it where you had it. You know, well, it looks good there. <laughs> you know, and so, but he, I, don't, I don't think he was in a place where he second-guessed. I don't think he was in a position, he just understood that it went here. What if we didn't second guess? What if we began to trust that what happens each day is part of what God is doing to build our lives? And by faith, we continue to deal with these things and build upon them, not always trying to fix them. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I like to fix things. That's wrong. Cut that out. Turn that down. Doesn't belong there. Because it's not my drawing. <laughs> it's not my life. It's your life, and God has a way of intending to, to, to build us up. And so Elijah here, in verse 17, the moment Ahab saw Elijah, he said, So it's you, old troublemaker. <laughs> it's you, old troublemaker. If somebody called you that, what would you do? You're just an old troublemaker, you. Every time you come around, you just upset the apple cart. <laughs> oh, so I saw him pointing. I didn't thought maybe it was a picture. Jose has pictures all the time he puts up there. Not this time, okay. So it's not... I who caused trouble in Israel, says Elijah. You see, because we're looking at life and looking at how that God wants to continue, you know, he's not, I always thought of, uh, you know, living our life for God was like going up a staircase. And then we, whenever we thought we were getting to the next floor, somebody hit one of those buttons and all the, all the stairs went flat and you slid down to the beginning again. You know, so as soon as you make a mistake, sorry, back to beginning. <laughs> and, you know, okay, i got to do this all over again. So we start up the staircase, and sure enough, we make a mistake. Boom, hit the, hit the button, and it all goes go back to the beginning again. No, God doesn't take us from, you know, we have to climb the same stairs every time, every going through the, no. Even though it may seem that every day is, is the same, it's different. Just like that thousand-piece puzzle, they all look the same, but every piece is a little different. Our lives are like those pieces of puzzle. It may look the same, but it's not. Because when you put today's picture together, it's a little different than yesterday's. And it's different than the days before. And sometimes there's a whole scenery change. Well, <laughs> Elijah says it's not him, but he says um, it's, it's you. It's, the, it's your prophet. It's your Baal that you worship. And so I, uh, Elijah has, let's have a showdown. Sounds like a Western. <laughs> let's all meet in the, in the it's, let's all meet out on the street and shoot it out, okay? So Elijah wasn't in the Old West. He was a few thousand years before. And um, 
what he does is let's all assemble on Mount Carmel. We'll have a showdown of who's God. Sometimes I think we need to do that. Who's God in this place? Our place, our lives. Sometimes we have to say, okay, God, I've been pulled between two things long enough. I need to know what you want me to do. Okay? So Elijah challenged the people, and he not only challenges the prophets, he challenges the people of Israel. Do everybody show up on, on, on Mount Carmel, and we're going to have a showdown between who's the real God of Israel? Will the real God of Israel please stand up? <laughs> so gets the people there, and he tells them, how long will you, be, will you go on sitting? Well, how long will you continue to go on sitting on the fence? How long will you try to straddle two things? you got to make up your mind. Will God be God and let the other things go? So I think this helps us in understanding of not questioning our everyday life. God, we thank him in the many. We thank him in the morning, and we thank him for his direction for the day, and we pray that he will direct us all through the day because we're assembling this ark. We're assembling our lives. And... Um, God doesn't make mistakes, and God uses everything that we do in a way to teach and train. So nobody said a word. Nobody questioned Elijah. He's just a troublemaker anyhow, so let's see what he can do. And so he gets, uh, Elijah said, verse 22, I'm the only prophet of God left in Israel. You see, even though Elijah is a really great man, he does great and miraculous things, sometimes he feels that he is isolated from everybody else. Nobody is like me. Nobody understands me. Only God and I are alive in this country, and I alone am carrying this burden. Well, yes and no. <laughs> you know, uh, it, uh, Jezebel had killed a lot of the prophets of God, but Elijah found, finds out later when he's complaining to God, and God says, Elijah, enough. There's still 400 people that haven't bowed down to Baal, so be quiet. <laughs> Get over it. <laughs> you know, let it go. You're not the only one down here. Anybody ever feel that way? I'm the only one left, you know, and no one in the whole world has suffered like me, and I'm deserted and lonely, and they wrote a country western song about it. <laughs> Yeah. If your dog dies, your wife leaves, your husband goes on a, on a whatever, and, and you, your car breaks down, you can write a song about it. Everybody can cry over it. on a... All right. So then Elijah said, I'm the only prophet, which isn't true. But he, he challenges the 450 prophets of Baal that they are to, we got two ox here, we're going to, you guys build an altar you, you build it the way you want. You put the wood and the animal on it, and you call God down. For, you call the, the God who answers by fire is the God, uh, the God that will follow. Well, the, the prophets, these, these prophets of Baal, 450 of them, they, are, they build their altar, and they start moaning and groaning and calling upon their God and cutting themselves, and they're jumping all over the altar, and you know, you know, if they're on the altar, maybe their God will answer and they'll be consumed and they'll go, they'll go and spend their life with 18 virgins. <laughs> you know, that's another religion. But uh, so they are, they are jumping all over the altar. They're trying to do this. You know, we, we know later that Elijah kills all the prophets of Baal. 
Well, how could one man kill 450? Well, these people had cut themselves so much and so severely, they were probably laying around half dead anyhow and, you know, trying to make this, their God pay attention. And um, <laughs> Elijah starts uh, mocking them. Uh, call a little louder. He is God, after all. Maybe he's off meditating somewhere or, or, or other. Maybe he's gotten involved in a project and he's on, or maybe he's gone on vacation. Maybe your God can't hear you. He might be in the next county. <laughs> so, again, people make idols out of, out of their imaginations. And then they make them sacred. You see, the reason that, you know, that you look at these idols and, you know, and Paul's and the... Uh, Christian church, the early times, and they would say, well, you can't eat meat offered to idols. Well, later on, that was in the Old Testament thing. But later on, uh, the pro, uh, the, uh, I think it's Paul says, they're not gods anyhow. They're just pieces of wood and stone. What are they going to do? <laughs> you know, it makes no difference if they're, if they're you know, offered to idols because the idols are nothing. They're just people's thoughts that they put together about what a god should be. Well, there's Baal, and, you know, and there's 450 prophets. They're screaming, they're yelling, and they're cutting. And, um, and then I like, he says, you don't suppose he overslept? <laughs> so that's Elijah. So this went on till well past noon. They used, very, they used every religious trick and strategy they knew to make something happen on the altar, but nothing happened. Not so much as a whisper or a flicker, a flame. There's a flame in there. <laughs> no, it wasn't there. So, no matter how it looks, you can't mess up enough. The God can't fix it. So, they messed up the altar. Elijah says, okay, guys, it's my turn. So, he puts the altar back together, but he uses 12 stones. The 12 stones are a symbol of the 12 tribes of Israel. So, there's a whole onslaught of the people around watching this performance. 450 prophets cutting and screaming and doing whatever, and nothing happens. So, Elijah puts the altar together with 12 stones, puts wood on the altar, prepares the animal, puts the animal on the sacrifice. Then he does something really foolish he digs a trench around the altar. And then he's even more foolish. He tells the guys, go down over the hill. And I've been to Mount Carmel where this supposedly took place. Go down to the creek. I mean, it's down over a half of a mountain. It's not just a little, it's like you don't want to fall. <laughs> so he sends the, he sends the people, sends a bunch of them down to get water and bring it up, dump on the altar. He sends them down, he does it three times. You see, sometimes God wants us to just put our foot in our mouth and see what happens. <laughs> and so Elijah, when it was time, verse 36, when it was time for the sacrifice to be offered, Elijah, uh, the prophet, came up and prayed, O God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make it known right now that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. You know, sometimes we just need to put it, on, put it all out there. God, I am your servant. I am here, this is the need, this I'm asking for you to do this in my life. That's it. Be specific with our requests and with our prayers. You know, I don't know if God will do this, he may do it, he may not do it. Get rid of that. 
pray your prayer and believe that God is going to answer, and if he doesn't, then change what you want. (laughs) You know, change directions or whatever, but look at it and believe that God is there and he's going to use this situation. He's going to make a demonstration that he is God and he's going to do this in in, in, in life. And so here we have that I am your servant and that I am doing what I'm doing under your orders. So Ahab calls him an old what? Hey, you old troublemaker. And Elijah's saying, God, you let them know I'm doing what I'm doing because it's under your orders. I'm not a troublemaker. I'm trying to bring the people back to God. So when people call you an old troublemaker, smile. Thank you. <laughs> We're messing up the messing up the, the, the other side. Answer me, God. Oh, answer me and reveal to this people that you are God, the true God, and that you are giving these people another chance at repentance. Elijah wasn't doing this solely for himself. He was doing it as a sign to the nation of Israel that God whom we serve from the very beginning, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and the God that is here that I represent is the God who's not forsaken you, and he wants you to come back to serving him immediately. Verse 38, the fire of God fell and burned up the offering, the wood, the stones, the dirt, and even the water in the trench. (laughs) It wasn't an alien spaceship that zapped it from overhead. It was God by his power. Notice that it was the fire of the Spirit came and consumed. Day of Pentecost, the fire of the Spirit came and consumed. God gives to us each his breath of life and the Spirit of God into our hearts and our souls. And the Spirit of God is there to burn up the dross, the the things, the sins, the, the, the things that make, cause us to stumble. God is there to burn that up, get rid of it in our lives and so that we can serve him more completely and that we can allow his power to flow through us more fully. So God is at work in the everyday circumstances of life to make a difference, to make a difference in our life for him. So let our prayers be specific and let the God who answers by fire, you know, sometimes we don't like God, you know, we don't like to put God to the test you know what? I don't think he minds. He'd rather us put him to the test than us be wishy-washy and say, well, I think he wants me to. No, he doesn't. He'd never do that for me. But for somebody else, he would, but not for me. And we go back and forth and back and forth. <laughs> Let that get burnt up in the fire. <laughs> and just allow ourselves to focus on God and his word and learn, learn how the Spirit of God works in our lives. Searching our hearts letting us be at peace and knowing that the strength of God is there every moment of every day. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Even all these people who had run and forsaken God, God hadn't forsaken them. The grace and the mercy of God is there. And just like God was with Noah, with Enoch, God is with Abraham, God is with Elijah, God is with us by his Spirit, holding us together, 
giving us strength and insight into our lives, knowing that he has prepared a path for us. And he know, already knows what the end is. He's trying, he's wanting the Spirit to help us reach that appointed end. So God has a plan. God has a purpose for each of our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. <laughs> Thank you, God. Thank you for touching our lives. Thank you for healing our bodies. Thank you for giving us insight into your word. Thank you, O oh God, for the strength of your, the power of your spirit, the burning power of your Holy Spirit that consumes the sin and dross in our lives, the things that would easily beset us, trip us up. So, God, we thank you. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you, O oh God, for building our lives, giving us the power to continue to go on and serve you. We pray these things in, in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Let's build an ark. <laughs> Let's get in the ark. <laughs> we want to look over those uh, colors. <laughs>